You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right. Well, good morning. If that doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. Well, hey, if you're new with us, welcome. My name is Marco, and I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend. If you are watching online, thank you so much. Make sure to like, leave a comment, share this video on your newsfeed. If you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, make sure you do that as well today. Well, listen, we are beginning a brand new message series entitled Jesus and the End Times. Jesus and the End Times, and I feel like it's very fitting for us to talk about these things. Listen, my intention is not to scare anyone into faith, of course, but I do want us to be awakened to the times that we now find ourselves in. War in the Middle East is raging on. Violent crimes are increasing. I think many of us are aware of the activities and the events that took place in Maine this past week. Tragic, tragic and horrific at the same time. We live in a world and a culture that is now calling evil good and good evil. Um, natural disasters, I don't know about you, but they are happening just with just intense frequency. And we see that as uh, birth pains and the signs of things to come. And so I want us to be awakened to what we find ourselves in. When it comes to studying the future or the events in the future, this is often called eschatology in as far as theologians are concerned or Bible teachers. They'll call this eschatology. And it comes from the word eschatos. And that Greek word actually means last things or just the word last. So therefore, the study of eschatology is the study of the last things. The study of eschatology is the study of the last things. And so I want to just make clear, though, eschatology is a very large topic. It's a vast topic and we could truly be here for another year. We're not going to do that, though. But listen, I'm going to do my best over the next several five to seven weeks. I want to do my best to cover the, the big picture of things when it comes to Scripture, what Scripture talks about. So in this series, we'll talk about some of the big things like the Great Tribulation or what is the rapture, or the millennium, who is the Antichrist, the return of Jesus and life with God in the new heaven and earth. That'll be among many of the things that we'll cover in this message series. And I want you to know that in this series, I'm going to do a lot of teaching, a lot of teaching. But I don't want this to be a, a college course. I don't want this to be a systematic theology course for I know that might bore many of you to tears. In fact, I want this message series to be more than just informative. I want it to be transformative. I want it to be transformative. I want it to trans transform us from the inside out. My prayer for this message series is that we would live ready for the return of Jesus Christ that we would live ready, and that we might also long for his appearing. 
that we might have a strong desire, a Maranatha cry to see Jesus face to face, to see him return. Those are my prayers for our message series. And on that note, why don't we do this? Let's just take a moment. Let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into the scripture with part number one of our series. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, and we're so grateful uh, just for your presence here this morning. God, I ask and pray that you might open any blind eyes to your truth today. Would you unlock deaf ears, perhaps, and soften the hardest of hearts? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me with boldness and in power. Father, I pray that we might surrender to your ways and your will today, Lord. Father, draw us near by the Spirit, we pray, and Lord, help us to be prepared. Help us to live ready, but not only that, to have a strong desire, our hearts being stirred up for your return, for we want to see you. So, Lord, we pray that you might do all these things during this time and so much more, that you might meet us in a very real and and tangible way by the power of your presence. We pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, here's what I'm going to do to get started this morning. I want to start by laying a a quick foundation. And by doing that, I'm going to offer you three different Bible verses from different places that just touch on the return of Jesus Christ. We'll learn, we'll look at what we can learn from these three simple verses. And then we'll move on to Matthew 24 which is known as the Olivet Discourse. And we'll look at the first 14 verses there. And we'll look at the Olivet Discourse. And as we do this, I want us to pay special attention to four obstacles of our faith during the end times. Four obstacles that Jesus spoke about himself of our faith during the end times. We'll then ask ourselves the question, do we see this happening right now? Do we see it happening right now? And then the final question will be this. Are you ready? Am I ready? Are we ready for his return? So let's dive into scripture. I want to offer you these three verses to open things up. And the first one is going to come in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus has appeared to his apostles. He did it for over 40 days, and then he's taken up to heaven. And as soon as he's taken up to heaven, there are two angels that appear to the apostles, and I want you to notice what they say to them. Acts 1.11 says this. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven and notice what's underlined, will come back in the same way. Will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The second verse comes from the Gospel of John, John 14, verse number 3. And these are the words of Jesus speaking of his second coming. Verse 3 says this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Notice what Jesus says. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
Final verse comes from the discourse that we'll look at today, which is Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to specifically look here at verse number 44 later on in this chapter. Again, these are the words of Jesus. He says this, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So what can we gather from these three Bible verses quickly here as we lay a foundation for Jesus and the end times? Well, the very first thing that I, I want to mention is, is very obvious, but I'll say it anyways. It's this. Jesus is coming back to the earth, okay? Jesus is coming back to the earth. Each time we see Jesus stating himself, I will come back. Or it's the third person, the Son of Man. He's referring to himself. If Jesus said it, listen, we can believe it. His promises are true still today. And I want you to notice that and know and realize that all of human history is leading to this climax, to this point of the return of the Son of God. Jesus is coming back, and we should live and be ready. The second thing that we learn is this. Jesus' return will be sudden, visible, and bodily. Jesus' return will be sudden, visible, and bodily. In other words, listen, we, we already know. Jesus said it. It will come at a time when we do not expect it. Second, we should understand that it will be visible. The entire world will behold the return of Jesus. This is not a spiritual return. This is not a return where, where only a few people see it. The entire world will be, behold the return of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, thirdly, it's bodily. He's going to have a physical body. He will be in his resurrected body. Jesus will come back, and all eyes will see him return. In Matthew chapter 24, as I said earlier, I want us to look at the first 14 verses of the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus mentions here, again, four obstacles to our faith during the end times. Well, what's the point of Jesus talking about these things? Well, I think it's twofold. Number one, Jesus wants us to be aware of the signs of the end times days or the end times. He wants us to be aware, to live aware. And number two, Jesus wants us to make sure, listen, that our faith isn't shipwrecked in the time that we need it the most. So we're going to talk today about four obstacles to our faith during the end times. As I was getting ready for this message series, you know, today... I felt the Holy Spirit really impress on me that before we go into, you know, any sort of timelines or any details about the Antichrist or the rapture, whatever it is, those certain things that we all like to, to, to learn about and to read about, I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of impress on me to, to make the first two parts of this series more evangelistic than anything. Just evangelistic in the sense that I want to try to make the gospel clear. And I, I want us to, to be prepared and to live ready. And so this week and next week's message are going to be more evangelistic. And we're going to turn our hearts towards Jesus and ask ourselves that sobering question. Are, are we ready for his appearing? If he were to come at any time, 
and he comes at a time when we don't expect it, are we ready for that? So let's go ahead and look at the first 14 verses in Matthew 24. Here's what it says. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? In other words, listen, when is the temple going to be destroyed, okay? So that's the first question they're asking. The second question, though, is kind of like two in one. Notice what they say. When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus, we want to know not only when is the end of the age, but what are the signs of your coming? So they're asking, essentially, they're asking three questions there, but it's two, and two of them are in one here. Jesus answered, verse number four, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation, or that word in the Greek is ethnos. It's, it's this idea of people groups, ethnicities. Notice what it says. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most. Jesus says most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's look at these four obstacles of our faith during the end times. The first obstacle to our faith is deception. Deception. Jesus said in verse number four, he said, Many will come in my name claiming to be the Messiah, and they will deceive many. If you read the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus uses that word deceive at least four different times. This idea that in the end times, many, many Christians, many people will be deceived. They will believe a different gospel. They will chase after different things, not things of the Lord, not things that are according to Scripture, but things of their own flesh, right? Their own desires. This is what Jesus talks about that many people will come claiming to be the Messiah. And, and many of these people, listen, they'll even accrue for themselves a large gathering, many followers, but they'll all come to an abrupt ending. Some will come to a violent ending. Anybody recognize the name David Koresh, right? We, we know this. We know that throughout history, there have been many to claim that they are the Messiah, that they're the Son of God, right? In our day and age, listen, with the rise of digital technology, with the rise of social media, you know what we call these people today? Influencers. 
Right? Influencers. There will be many influencers that will rise up and they'll have many followers on their YouTube channels and they will claim that they are the Messiah, they're the Son of God, that you should follow them and not Jesus. They will encourage us to follow us, to follow after our own passions and lust and desires instead of the things of the Lord. You know, the enemy's tactics have not changed since the Garden of Eden. Just as the serpent deceived Eve, Jesus warns us that the serpent will continue to, to deceive many, many people. Notice what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 3. Paul writes this, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is warning here as well, right, that just as Eve was deceived, that many people, many in the church would be deceived. They will run after these false doctrines. I, I want to cover just quickly for all of you just, just two big deceptions that I see taking place right now in the body of Christ as a whole. The first big deception is sort of what I might call the gospel of feelings, or we might say this, it's the, the, the theory that feelings is king. Feelings are king. Feelings are our king. It's this belief that says, if I have a feeling, if I feel a certain way, I must have everyone affirm that feeling. And if you don't affirm that feeling, well, that's the equivalent to hate. I need everyone to affirm my feelings. And my feelings are, guess what? My truth. People would say that in our culture, in our world today. My feelings are my truth. But let me just explain to you that the opposite is spoken of in Scripture, right? I can have lots of feelings. In fact, I don't know about you, but I experience all kinds of feelings every day. Did you know this, that you can feel one way on Monday, but then feel differently on Tuesday? <laughs> what about this one? You can feel one way on a Monday morning at 8 a.m., and at 8.02, you'll feel differently. Did you know that if you follow all of your feelings, you might get into a lot of trouble? You could end up in jail. You might be divorced, right? You could end up in a world of hurt, turmoil, and trouble. So what I've discovered, and I know this is true for all of you, what I've discovered is that my feelings are not king, but Jesus is king. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that I have a lot of feelings. Listen, if I can be honest, I have to submit them and surrender them to what? To the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right? And that's what you must do as well. You have feelings, but feelings, just because you feel something doesn't mean that it's true. You also must, what, submit and surrender those feelings to the lordship of Jesus Christ. For if I were to act on all my feelings, those certain actions would be deemed sinful in the eyes of God. And so we can't just act on all of our feelings. And maybe some in our culture, let me use a relevant example. Just because you feel like a Furby doesn't mean you are a Furby, right? Now, listen, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. I'm just trying to use a relevant example of what I've seen and heard. Just because you think you're a Furby doesn't mean you are a Furby, right? And, and I'm not trying to be mean, of course. Maybe you're thinking, like, wait, I thought this was a compassionate church. I thought this was an empathetic church. I, I am empathetic. But I also want you to know the truth. The truth is that you're not a Furby. You're a human being made in the image of God. 
And that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And that he was crucified. He was buried. And that three days later, he rose again. And that one day, Jesus the king is coming back to eradicate sin completely. And so we have feelings, right? But feelings don't make it true. Truth is truth. We don't have a claim on the truth. Only God does. And so what I feel is not necessarily the truth of the matter. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus, not our feelings. The second big deception that I see taking place in the body of Christ is a bit more controversial. It's the social justice gospel. The social justice gospel. Now, I know for some of you, you might say, but hey, Pastor Marco, wait a minute. Isn't God for justice? And I would say to you, absolutely. I 100% completely, completely agree with you. God is a just God. Because we're made in his image, that's the reason that we have a desire for justice here on the earth. We want wrongdoers to be punished. We want those who do well to to receive rewards because we're made in his image, and he is a just God, 100%. In fact, Psalm 89 says this, that the the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. But I want to warn you that the justice that we see on TV and so many circles right now and even inside of the church is not biblical justice. The justice that we see right now is a different gospel. In fact, it resembles something more like a postmodern neo-Marxist worldview that categorizes everything into the oppressed or the oppressor. Now, a lot of you have probably already heard of this. If you're under the age of 25, you probably heard of this much more than the rest of us, okay? I want to say this, though. This is anti-gospel and anti-biblical, right? This is anti-gospel and anti-biblical. When you have a worldview that categorizes everyone into the oppressed and the oppressor, I want to just say that it's anti-gospel because in this gospel, so-called gospel, there is no such thing as forgiveness and reconciliation. There is only penance. And you must continue to do penance for the rest of your life. What about this? It's anti-biblical. It's anti-biblical because this is a works-based righteousness and not a grace-based righteousness. A works-based righteousness says, I have to work. I have to do the work of A, B, and C to be in right standing with you. I have to be educated. I have to be enlightened. I must be woke enough, whatever it is. I have to do the work of a certain thing to attain righteousness and salvation. But listen, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's grace-based. We don't have a righteousness that is our own, Paul says. We have a righteousness that's been imputed to us through the death and by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes, you can clap for that. Right? So this is, many have fallen into this social justice gospel. This is the reason why we see on campuses all over the United States, like Harvard and Yale. What is happening there? It's these anti-Semitic, they're pro-Palestine, but they're very anti-Semitic rallies taking place. They have grown so smart that they're dumb. They've grown so intellectual that they're now stupid. What are they falling into, this oppressed and oppressor worldview? 
This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, my friends. This is a false gospel. Paul said himself in Galatians chapter 1, I believe, that if anyone preaches a different gospel among you, even if an angel comes and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. Paul also writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. He says this, But the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by who? Demons. These are doctrines of demons. Let's not paint it as something cute and cuddly. These are doctrines of demons. We need to be awake to what we see right now in our world. And my intention is not to scare any of you, but for us to be enlightened by God's word. Church, deception will be the downfall of many in the last days. Take heed. Take heed. Young people, take heed to the to the movements that you find yourself a part of. And you are cause-oriented, and I'm so grateful for that. You want to be a part. You want to do good. You want to do justice, and I love that. Don't ever let that fire go out in you, but be aware. Be aware. Know the facts. Know exactly what you're getting yourself involved in. Don't be naive to the enemy's schemes. The second obstacle to our faith during the end times is apostasy. Apostasy. Jesus in verse number 10 said this, that many will fall away. Many will fall away. So church, notice this. Because of deception, you have deception leads to what? Apostasy. People are falling away from the faith that they once knew. Now, the interesting thing that in the Greek, when Jesus says fall away, that word fall is the word scandalizo. It's where we get the word scandal. And did you know that it can literally mean to be offended or to stumble? This is interesting because Jesus is saying that in the last days, Christians, Christians will be offended from the gospel. They will be offended by the gospel. They will be offended by their own faith. They will stumble and they will what? They will fall away. The faith that they once knew, that they once cling to, right, is the faith that they will now denounce. Now, the modern day term for this, you may have heard it, is the term deconstruction. Have you ever heard this term, anybody? I want you to notice that right now in our day and age, People are being applauded and celebrated for deconstructing their faith. Social media, right? Marty Sampson used to sing for Hillsong, and he goes on Instagram and denounces his faith, and everyone's like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, way to be woke. You are, you are just, that's awesome. You're going for the truth now. You're really, man. And they love him, and there's all these likes, thousands of likes, all these comments just cheering him on. Today, we have a culture that now celebrates the deconstruction of Orthodox faith. It's incredibly sad. But this is what we're living in right now, that many will de Construct. I just read a book about a few weeks ago, I finished it, entitled The Anatomy of Deconstruction. The Anatomy of Deconstruction. Essentially, the, 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 the main point of the book was this writer, essentially this was his PhD dissertation or uh, uh, Doctor of Ministry dissertation, and he does this research, and what he wants to find out is those people who have deconstructed from their faith, what do they all have in common? What are some of the attributes that they all share? And you know what they all share? They all share that they came from a background that was a fundamental sort of legalistic background. 
That sort of background where it's like, well, look at his sin, and look at his sin, but we'll never look at themselves. That background that says, just be a good little boy, and we want you to be moral, and go to church. And listen, those are all good things, but listen, what he's discovered is that many of those people never actually had a genuine saving faith of their own. They were just sort of going through the motions and living by the rules. And can I just say, if you grew up in that sort of environment, I love you. I'm not here to to condemn you at all. But I I really want to push you and encourage you. If you grew up with a morality-based message, hey, go to church, be a good little boy, be a good little girl, don't swear, don't do those things, and you were emphasized, the emphasis was always about following rules but not knowing Jesus, I want you now to, in your adult life, to emphasize a life with God through his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that your heart's affections might be stirred for Jesus, not for following rules, but for Jesus himself. And listen, I think it's a good, it's a good thing for you to go to church because you, you want to do good by someone else, but if you don't know him, you've missed the point. right? And I don't want you to be someone who deconstructs your faith. It's been said that if we have all word and no spirit, we dry up. If we have all spirit and no word, we blow up. But if we have both the word and the spirit, we grow up. And that's what I want you to have. And I understand that the size of our church, we come from many different backgrounds, right? But if you came from a very legalistic rule following, be a good little boy, that's all you knew, Listen, you're likely to turn into a judgmental Pharisee pointing out everyone's flaws and sins, but not having a life-giving relationship with God himself. I want you to, to take heed. I want you to guard your heart, church. As your shepherd, I want to encourage you to guard your heart and focus and emphasize what? Relationship, the power of the Spirit. The third obstacle of our faith in the end times is apathy. Apathy. Jesus, in verse number 12, says what? The love of many will grow cold. What is apathy actually? Well, apathy is more like indifference. It's it's lacking any zeal for God. It's sort of an uninterested attitude when it comes towards the things of God. Like, I I don't care. Either way, whatever, I show up to church, yeah, I give, I tithe, whatever. But your, your heart's affections, are, again, are not stirred for Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning, church, that love for God should be much more than religious obligation. And church attendance should be much more than obligatory religious duty. Love for God should be characterized by the stirring of your heart's affections for him. The stirring of your heart's affections for him. Notice what Paul writes. Paul writes in Romans 12, 10, and 11. He says this. Go ahead and put that verse up. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never, Paul says, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Do you feel like sometimes you're just kind of going through the motions of your faith? Now, listen, I think we all experience seasons like that, but I don't want you to stay there. I don't want to stay there. 
We all have dry seasons when it comes to our relationship with God in Christ. But I don't want any of us to stay there. If we feel like we're just sort of going through the motions or I have to be a good little boy, I have to be a good son or a good daughter or this is what grandma told me to do, so I guess I got to do it, right? But it's separate from your heart's affections. Friends, I want to say this, and I say this in love, that you've either lost your zeal for God or you never had it. You never had zeal for God, and that really concerns me. That's deeply concerning for me. And and listen, I know, listen, I know that the the pushback, the pushback is this. Pastor Marco is like, I'm just not emotional. Like, I'm not an emotional guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, and I would say, you got married, right? You got emotional about her at some point. You got emotional about him at some point. You get really emotional when you see guys in tights go and score a touchdown, right? I mean, you're like, woo, yeah! You, you are emotional. You have emotions. Your heart's affections are stirred for something of pigskin and guys in tights. So they're there. You get emotional when you go to the restaurant and, and, they, and they serve you the perfect platter, the burger with bacon and avocado and everything on it, right? It's a stack, and you eat it, and you're like, mmm. Oh, Jesus, yes, Lord, right? Come, Holy Spirit, right? And you're, you're emotional in that, right? Okay, then, listen, that your heart's affections are just placed in the wrong place then. You do have emotions, but I want your affections to be stirred just like that for Jesus. Do you get excited when you talk about Christ? When we gather together in worship, or do you just sit there like you're bored? If that's you, you owe it to yourself to ask the question, Why? Well, I'm here because grandma passed away and grandma wanted me to go. That's fantastic. But do you know him? Do you know him, right? Well, I'm here because sometimes we do this, and I might be jumping ahead in my message notes, so forgive me, Brittany. But sometimes we do this. We, 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 we get to a certain age. We're like in our mid-30s. We have kids. And we're like, you know what? We should go to church. Yeah, it'd be good for the kids. Because I want my kids to grow up with some sort of moral clarity on the issues today. I want them to have a moral compass. Yeah, let's do that, honey. Let's go to church for the kids. But do you know him? You go through the motions. You do it for someone else. But what are you doing? What have you done with the name of Jesus? Right. Where are your heart's affections stirred up for? I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. This is good stuff. So you owe it to yourself. Why doesn't Jesus stir your heart's affections in the same way as men in tights? You owe it to yourselves. You should, I should have a visible hunger and zeal for the Lord and his word. This is what it means for the gospel to transform your life. This is what I want. Hebrews 12, or sorry, Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13 The writer of Hebrews, some think it's Paul, but we don't really know for sure, says this, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be, here it is, hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You have a hardened heart. You don't have to answer out loud, thank God, right? But if you do... Just admit it, it's okay to acknowledge that, but then ask yourself, why has it become hardened? Holy Spirit, would you reveal that to me? Because it's 
killed my relationship with God, right? So at times, we know that the sin in our lives creeps in, and it leads to the hardening of our hearts toward God. Jesus said that the apathetic or that an apathetic church would be a great obstacle to the end times church. An apathetic church would be a great obstacle to the end times church, right? We need our faith right now to burn bright, to be powerful, to be a witness in the days that we're living in. The final obstacle that I have for you today, I want to read actually to begin, I want to read from Luke 21. And this is the parallel passage for the Olivet Discourse. This is from Luke's vantage point, though, just so you're aware. This is Luke chapter 21, 26 and 27. If you want to read Mark's version, I think it's Mark 13. You can correct me if I'm wrong later, but they... He also has a vantage point on the Olivet Discourse. Luke 21, 26, Jesus says, People will faint from terror. Look at that. What a, look what I have underlined. People will faint from terror, apprehensive on what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken at that time. Scripture says, They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So church, here's what I want to say. The fourth obstacle to our faith in the end times is fear. It's fear. It's fear. And maybe we could couple that with anxiety because that's so prevalent today, right? They, they kind of walk hand in hand. They're cousins. And I want to just acknowledge that fear is an emotion that we all feel, right? It, we, every single one of us feel this emotion. And so let me just acknowledge firsthand that feeling fear is normal, and it's fine, and it's okay, and it's acceptable. But I also want you to realize that fear is one of the primary tactics of the evil one, where he will keep us in bondage. He will cripple us. He will paralyze us to the things and the purposes of God for our lives. We all want to hear those words that Jesus says to us when he returns. And church, I want you to help me out. Well done, good and faithful Okay, let me ask you another trick question. What does a servant do? Serve. All right, bingo, you're on your way to heaven. Awesome. All right. A servant serves. A servant cannot serve, though, if he or she is trapped in their basement storing up toilet paper waiting for the apocalypse. Come on, I'm preaching to someone. Come on, you think the fear was bad during COVID. It's about to come more. Come on, the spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of fear over this generation. If you think it was bad before, it's going to get worse. And so you must be aware. Jesus, in his love for his people, has made us aware that one of our enemies' obstacles to the faith in the end times is fear. And if you're trapped in your basement, right, with 17 shotguns and canned goods that'll last you until 2097, listen, but you're not living out your purposes for God, you're not serving God, how can he call you good and faithful servant? 
And so the enemy knows that if he can just keep you bound in fear, he can cripple you, he can paralyze you, he can keep you home. No, I just can't, I don't, I just, I, I just can't go to church because there's crowds at church and I, I just can't be around other people and they might have a disease and I, I can't go to church because, because there's other people there and I don't know every, people, every person there and if, I, and, if, and if I go to the grocery, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of you, I'm just, this is for real, like for real. This is like, as a pastor, this is like what I hear. For real, like this is, this is real stuff. I'm not poking fun at anybody. I'm just saying, this is, this is the fear of Satan gripping someone's life. And Jesus says, watch out, because fear's coming for you, baby. It'll hold you captive. And then what? And then you don't live a life of purpose, right? I want to be found faithful. I want to be found busy doing the work of God, right? And I, I, I pray that that's your prayer too. Are you going to be afraid? Well, yeah, I, we, we all are. Like, we're, we're all going to be afraid. There's going to be times. Like, like, I'm afraid right now. Like, did you see the news? Like, the U.S. just, like, bombed a couple of sites in Syria that were, like, you know, uh, Iranian militia-based places or whatever they're called. And, and, like, like, we're getting involved all of a sudden. Like, like, things are escalating. Like, does that scare me? Yeah, it does scare me. The times are, are growing darker, Right? Turkey's president just went online, right, at a meeting saying, hey, if the, the Gaza Strip continues to be bound, we will get involved. Trust me, America, you don't want none of this. Turkey, president, he went online, he, like, he said that in a meeting publicly. Like he said, you want, a, you want a war? We'll bring it on, right? That scares me. There are many things that are going to scare us in these end times, listen, but we can't allow, we can't allow our hearts to be hardened. We can't allow Satan to cripple us and paralyze us to, to prevent us from living out the purposes that God has called us to, right? Jesus said to make disciples of all nations. And then he says this, he says, and I will be with you until the very end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, right? Jesus makes a promise. I will be with you until the very end of the age. So Jesus promised that he would be with us. We're going to be afraid at times, but Jesus will be with us. I want to bring things to a close here. As we bring things to a close, we've looked at these, these four obstacles to our, our faith, right? Fear, um, apathy, apostasy, and deception. I want you to notice, though, in, in Matthew 24, and you can read it on your own. You can, you can look it up yourself. I, I want you to do that this week. Jesus uses very strong language to his disciples, these, these phrases. Two of these phrases are this. Keep watch and be ready. 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 Ready for what? Ready for the end of the age. Ready for this, the the Son of God to return. Part of what it means to be ready for Christ's return, listen, is to be faithfully obeying him in the present and actively engaged in the work, whatever that is, that God has called you to. So part of being ready, hear me, church, is this, is actively obeying him in the present and then being engaged in the work that he's calling you to today right now. That's part of what it means to be ready. So let me ask you the question, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you leaned into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? 
Are you living a, a life that's, that's marked by the fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul speaks about in the book of Galatians? Are you stewarding your resources like money and time, treasures? Are you stewarding them towards the things of God or just towards more comfort? And your pleasures, right? Nothing wrong with a little pleasure. Nothing wrong with a vacation. I, I like vacations too, okay? I like all that stuff. I agree with you. But if you're just robbing God, that's not okay. That's not okay. Are you stewarding your resources towards the kingdom of God? Are you investing in relationships with the people of God? Do you have friends here at, at, at church that you can call or text? Or do you have to wait until next Sunday for someone to pray with you. Listen, you're not saved by yourself. You're saved into a body. You're saved into a family. I want to remind you of that, that you're not an island under yourself. We live in America, and we're incredibly individualized Westerners. But listen, that is not the gospel. The gospel is living in community, living your faith with other people, being friends and fellowshipping with other like-minded believers in the body of Christ? Are you sharing your faith? Are you busy doing the work that God has called you to do? Or listen, perhaps you're, you're, you're stagnant in a life of disobedience to God. Maybe you're, you're in sexual sin. Maybe you're, you're living with your girlfriend, living with your boyfriend, and you thought, man, that, that's fine. That, that's okay. Not a big deal, right? Maybe you're content with your addictions, so you're just going to sit in your alcoholism. And, and I, I want to have comp compassion and mercy for you because I know that's an incredible enemy that people have in their lives. But I also want to empower you to get help and to seek Jesus, to get professional help, not to sit in your addictions. Maybe you're here and you haven't forgiven someone. Listen. Your heart is being hardened because of a lack of forgiveness. And you're holding a grudge. And Jesus could, could come at any moment. He could return here very, very soon. And, and you're, you're holding a grudge still. Maybe you're stagnating in your faith today. And you're, you're apathetic. You're, you're lazy. You're consumed with entertainment and scrolling social media and TikTok and Instagram reels. Listen, but you have no life with God. You have no relationship. You have no devotion. Your heart's affections are not stirred for him. Today, maybe you're here and you have religious obligations, but you don't have heart affections for Jesus Christ. You're going through some of the emotions. Maybe your life is characterized by religious traditions, which is fine and dandy, but on the inside, you have no true religious convictions. That's a problem, right? You're here. Maybe you're here because grandma wanted you to be here again, and she thought it would be a good idea. Maybe you're here because you want your kids to have a moral framework. That's a good thing. That's a nice thing. But do you know him? Do you know him? Has your life been changed? Can you, can you think of a moment? Can you think of a time? Can you think of a period when you say, I met Jesus? And if you can't, listen, friends, that concerns me. You may be in a danger zone. You may be walking through the motions going through it all like everything's okay and Jesus might say to you depart from me I never knew you and I'm asking you these questions now because they're so urgent for the times that we live in here do you know that your eternity is secure do you hear his whisper when you read his word do you feel the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you do you feel the Holy Spirit's conviction when you sin and again, church, if the answer is no to any of these questions, listen, 
You may be in a dangerous place, and I want to lead you into a prayer right now. I want to lead you to a place of surrender and submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The time is now. Paul said that the day of salvation is today. It's today. Don't let the world get darker and darker before you make that choice, before you make that decision. I beg you. I implore you. I want to just challenge you this morning. Don't go through the motions, right? Align your schedules to fit more with godly things. Rearrange your life. Do whatever you have to do because the kingdom of God is worth it. It's the biggest, greatest treasure you'll ever have. And you can spend your whole entire lives working for things that don't matter. So I want us to pray right now. Let's stand up. Prayer team's going to come up. And if at any point when I'm praying, if that's you, you're like, Pastor Marco, I need to repent. I need to, re- I need to turn. I want you to just come up. This is not about anybody else. This is about you and the Lord. At any time during my prayer, if you want to pray with one of our elders, they'll be up here. Some of our pastors will be up here. Pastor Jacob and his wife will be up here as well, probably. And at any point during my prayer, you feel compelled. I need, to, I need to pray right now. I want you to just go for it. Don't even wait for me. Just go for it. This is not... This is a, we're like Planet Fitness, no judgment zone, right? So listen, (laughs) come and get right with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you and um, God, make us ready, Lord. Make us ready. God, thank you for your kindness and your, um, your grace, Lord. You've been so kind in Matthew 24 to warn us of the obstacles of our faith in the end times. Father, if I can be honest, I see these things every day, Lord. Every single day I see these things. And so that tells me that the end is drawing near. That tells me that you're getting closer to returning. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might live for you and not live for the things of the world or the pleasures or the comforts of this world, but live entirely for your kingdom and your glory. Come, Holy Spirit, and renew, renew zeal in our hearts. If we're apathetic, if we're lazy, if we're consumed with entertainment, come Come and fill our hearts, Holy Spirit. We don't want to just go through the motions. We want to know you and be transformed and shaped by you. Father, we're sorry for our sin. We're sorry for prioritizing all the wrong things. And today we come to you and we say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are master and I want to live with you, Lord. Today is that day. Today is that day. God, thank you that you sent your one and only son. You made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness is not earned. It's not worked for. It was given to us. It was imputed to us through and by Jesus Christ. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace, God. And we run to you. We run to you like a strong tower, like a refuge in the middle of the storm. We come running to Jesus today for nothing that we have is of any value or for eternity but our relationship with you. So God, Come and transform our hearts. Come and do a miracle in Radiant Church. Come and use this body to transform our city. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill your people. Come convict of sin. Come break up fallow ground. God, I pray. God, I cry out to you. Come and break hardened hearts today, Lord. Do it. Only you can do it, God. I can't do it. I can scream, but I cannot do the work that you can do. So come, Holy Spirit.
Holy Spirit and do that. And I'm going to count to three. And if you want prayer, come on up. One, two, three. I want you to come up. If you want prayer, if you want to repent of sin, don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for those who will come up, those who will receive prayer. Do not leave those double doors without your lives being changed by Jesus today. We thank you for it. All God's people said, amen. It's in his name we pray. Thank you, guys. We love you.